are Locked On Pelicans, your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here we go on this Thursday game day for your New Orleans Pelicans, second game against the Utah Jazz, hopefully a little bit better than the first, and we're going to mix it up on today's episode of Locked On Pelicans here. I'm bringing on David Locke, host of the Locked On Jazz Podcast, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Oh yeah, and also the head of the Locked On Podcast Network. We did a bit of a crossover, and I'm just going to play the entire thing for you all to hear our perspectives on the game last night, where you get this really interesting quirk in the NBA where you sometimes get back-to-back games, a mini-series, if you will, against an NBA team, which, you know, it's, it's got like kind of a playoff feel where do you change things, do you not? We get into a lot of that in our discussion. We talk about Zion, Brandon Ingram, and look at the Utah Jazz and how the Pelicans might be able to win tonight's game. So a little bit something different for you here on a game day on Locked On Pelicans. Well, as I mentioned, unique NBA scheduling, so unique Locked On Jazz and unique Locked On Pelicans because the Jazz played the Pelicans on Tuesday and they play the Pelicans today. So it's time for a crossover Locked On edition. I'm David Locke of Locked On Jazz. And I'm Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans. All right, so Jazz uh, thumped the Pelicans pretty handily in game number one uh, after the Pelicans had come off a nice win against Sacramento, but it turned out that was the second worst defensive night of the year for the Pelicans. It was actually one of their least good offensive nights as well. Like, were you surprised by what you saw? No, and listeners of Locked on Pelicans heard me say this on that Tuesday morning show, kind of previewing the game, that the Jazz are just a bad matchup for New Orleans. They have trouble defending on the perimeter, and I mean, you saw basically the Utah Jazz just shoot lasers. All night, they were 21 of 47 from three. They were they shot 45%. The Orleans didn't make them work for it whatsoever. And given that Utah shoots a ton of threes in volume and hits them at a high rate, that's kind of like the perfect storm on how to beat New Orleans here. So, no, you know, I, I haven't been high at the Pelicans team all year. And the defense, I think, has some hidden issues that didn't show up in the early returns, the early numbers. And you saw it kind of on full display in the, in the first game between these two teams. So your podcast on, I think, either the night – before we played or maybe two days before we played was about hidden issues with the Pelicans Mm -hmm. that, and what did you see prior and what did you see in that game that reconfirmed those hidden issues you're mentioning? So it was a couple things, and that was born out of Stan Van Gundy talking about how the offense hasn't been a problem for New Orleans. It's actually been the defense, and this has led to a lot of discussion of, like, which is the bigger culprit for the Pelicans' kind of rocky start to the year. And when you looked at the numbers, the defense for a while ranked in the top five of the league. It's early on in the season. There's some volatility in there. One bad game can move you up a bunch of spots or drop you, you know, down a bunch of spots, depending on how it goes. But when I looked at the numbers, I started to agree with him because – you saw that the Pelicans are good at kind of deterring shots at the rim. They don't let teams shoot at the rim, but when teams do get to the rim, they allow the second highest field goal percentage there. So they're not actually good at protecting the rim. They're just good at limiting shots there. You do that kind of selling out. And maybe they're selling out to protect the paint because they know they're actually not good at defending the rim, which means you're going to have wide open three-point shooters. And you had said in the open here that, you know, they had a good win over the Sacramento Kings, 
I don't know if it was that good. That game was way closer than it should have been. And the Pelicans really struggled down the stretch and almost blew. I think it was an 18 point lead in that one. And so when you kind of looked at everything here and the work that De'Aaron Fox did in that game, you were going to be able to see easily Donovan Mitchell driving to the basket. And then if the defense did collapse on him, he's going to be able to kick out to open shooters. And you saw that in this game on Tuesday. How many times do you think the Utah Jazz drove, not intending to score at the rim, but instead to just manufacture a wide-open three-point shot? Well, they took 17 corner threes in that game, which is an astronomically high number. If you you hit double figures in a game, that's pretty good. Now, what it's almost we're talking about here is a confluence of events because the Jazz have now won six in a row. In six of their last seven games, they have actually taken double-digit corner threes, which is anytime you're over 10, it's big. Uh, And so you get one is a team that's finding that shot, and two, a team that is, you're saying, is committed to denying the rim. Well, if you're that committed to denying the rim, then that's the shot that's going to be open here at some point. Pretty much every single time, and I think that's kind of why you saw them hitting it so much. And also, look, it's against a good three-point shooting team. I think some of the issues with this defense are, are pretty obvious when you watch the Pelicans a lot. How did the coaching staff not realize that this was maybe going to be a big possibility? And look, it took until the third quarter for them to do something kind of different on defense. I have an issue with that. The, the flaws here were obvious. The game plan went kind of exactly like I thought it was going to be, and the game was going exactly like I thought it was going to be, which was negative for the Pelicans. Why did it take till the third quarter to at least try a zone? Not that that worked because Donovan Mitchell hit that three-pointer on the right wing immediately when they switched to it. But what took so long there? And that's where I'm curious about this game tonight. Stanvin Gundy has not been great at making adjustments as the season's gone on. He seems kind of rooted to the ways he wants to go. And maybe that it's just somewhat early in the season still, so you don't want to get away from everything you've been training for and practicing for. But this is a game where you've got to do something different because if you don't, it's going to just look like Tuesday, which is not what New Orleans wants. Well, so that's, I think, the most interesting aspect of this game. I'm fascinated by these. We haven't done this back-to-back thing yet where you're playing a team like this. We do it with Dallas later in the month, so we do it against two very good coaches in Stan Van Gundy and Rick Carlisle. But I'm fascinated with a coach in his now 12th or 13th game with a team of whether he says, all right, I'm willing to make all sorts of changes or I need you to do what I'm asking you to do better. Like there's, I went and rewatched the game. You know, there, there's a bunch of like mysterious rotations. Brandon Ingram, like rotates in on something like with his back turned to the corner three shooting. It's like, it's just a bad play. And there's Eric Bledsoe sagging in and then he's kind of small. So he actually doesn't get out on the shooter very well. So there's a bunch of things of that nature. And Lonzo looks like he was a step slow all, all day long, just coming back from mm-hmm. the injury and the short, the shot was short. So I'm curious if you're in your 13th, 14th game of a seat, of a, your run with a coat, do you, do you have to say to your team, Hey, here's my changes. So you don't look so bad or do you to try to gain confidence? Or do you have to say, you know, you actually just did it badly. Do it better. I think it's a little bit of a mix of both. If this was a one-off game and we and I hadn't seen this happen over the past six or seven games for New Orleans, I agree with you. You kind of stick with your principles. You've been practicing this. You know, Stan Van Gundy as a head coach has the track record of building good defenses that do this exact same thing, though I think he's going to almost a slight extreme with it, which is fine. 
that you don't adjust that much. But they've been giving up open three-point shots all season long and at a near historic rate, I think, on some of this. So because it just hasn't been working all season long, maybe you need to finally start adjust, particularly when you're playing a team whose strengths, to some degree, lie in that. They're, they're definitely over-helping too much, I think, when it comes to playing defense and protecting the paint. They don't need five guys in there or four guys in there, and you have some good one-on-one defenders. Trust maybe Eric Bledsoe to handle the guy driving, you know, Donovan Mitchell in this case, or at least contain him somewhat. And Maybe you don't need two other dudes to kind of converge on him, and that's going to lead to just wide-open three-point shots. So certainly I think it could be just having a little bit more trust in these players themselves and trusting their ability – or maybe they're just taking Stan Van Gundy's um, coaching uh, uh, tactics here a little too literally, and that could be a problem. So I think there's something to be said of run your normal thing, run the normal scheme here, but these players need to execute better. But given what we've seen this season, I don't know if I actually trust them to do that. All right, let me give a different perspective on this. This is from the jazz angle. I mean, that's the whole point of the crossover, right? So that the, the Pelicans yeah. fans. So the other angle on the jazz is that the jazz, like from our perspective, have the best rim roller in the NBA in Rudy. And they've got seven, and Derek's not bad, as you guys know. And they've got seven Mm -hmm. guys who are 40% catch and shoot three point shooters and are all, and some, you know, or, or better on, some of them are actually good off the bounce too, but predominantly. So there are times, and the other night was one of them where we're watching and thinking, like, how do you guard this team? Like, this was the number one right. offensive team in the NBA from December 24th to the going to the bubble. Now, they, they did some different things in the bubble, and then they were brilliant again in, in the playoffs. They just didn't get enough stops. So it, it's interesting. To, like, I kind of think about this for a second and think to myself, like, I don't actually know that there is a really good answer to guard this team. And maybe... I don't know. Like, what's your thought on like how much there actually is an answer on how you guard the Utah Jazz? So I agree with you, and I watched a good bit of the film of the Utah Jazz going into this game. Look, there was a reason on on my show, which you know is for Pelicans fans, and I should get them a little bit excited about the team while still calling it as it is. But I was like, they have no chance in this game. So. If they tried to lock down on the perimeter, someone was going to score inside. And it goes back to that number I said earlier. If teams shoot really, really well at the rim against New Orleans, they just don't do it a ton. And so if a team realizes that you can pound the ball inside and actually score at a high percentage against them, maybe things flip and all of a sudden you're going to see teams feasting at the rim. But you know what? I'd much rather get beat by a guy like Rudy Gobert than Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell put up 28 in this game. I'd much rather have to shrug my shoulders and go, well, Rudy Gobert scored 30 points in this one, even though he averages a little over 12 per game this season. What are you going to do? We, we held Donovan Mitchell in check. We did what we could on the perimeter for one of the two or three best three-point shooting teams in the league. If, Don, if, if Rudy Gobert beats you, sometimes you just shrug your shoulders and you move on and go, okay, we had the right game plan. He, oh, he outplayed you know, what his norm would be. Sometimes that happens and you lose a game. And so I think that's what bothers me about this one a little bit. I'd rather just get beat by Rudy Gobert than I would by Donovan Mitchell because you're expected to lose to one of them, maybe not the other one, even though New Orleans was going to have their, their problems either way. It's kind of a pick-your-poison situation. Yeah, I don't really know how you do that, though. I mean, what that would really mean is that you're not bringing a third guy into the rotation or maybe you're – I don't know how you're doing that. Maybe you're – because you're giving up 15 – you know, you're going to give up 15 dunks if you're not careful. 
So like, yeah, something I mean, like, like that. the thing about Rudy yeah, maybe is he's not an Even Adams a little bit. You know, he he's pretty good down low. You know, I don't know if he's the elitist rim protector out there, but maybe it's you. You just got to trust your players a little bit. And you know, as a new head coach, you have know, 13 games into his career, maybe he doesn't have that trust built in with some of these guys yet too. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna run a high pick and roll with Rudy, and Rudy's gonna roll. And now, if you're just gonna let, if you let Rudy go, it's a dunk, right? So you've got to bring. Now I, yeah, pretty I, much. The question, you know, you're bringing Adams up on the ball on Conley, and and then Conley was, and then you're rolling somebody to rotate down to to Adam to to Rudy rolling because Adams up high, and now that's opening up a three. I mean, I, I, maybe you're just dropping Adams to the rim and deciding that you're gonna let Conley and Donovan turn the middle turn the corner into the lane and try to force him into those floaters instead of inst- and not leave the shooters. That, 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 that That's maybe the, the kind of way to look at it. And look, there, there's strong deterrence in there. I think in Steven Adams, you know, he's one of the tougher players in the league. Like you don't want to go right at him necessarily. So I think there's something to be said for it, but not giving up as many threes as they did in this game, which were just, you know, practice looks for the jazz. I thought, all right, we'll flip the ball, the quarter around a little bit, talk about the Pelicans with the ball, the Jazz on defense. It's Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans. I'm David Locke, Locked On Jazz, NBA crossover edition here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you grab Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd each and every day. Great recap of the action that took place the night before, plus the fantasy insight from the number one fantasy basketball show in the land. Some more to come with David Locke of Locked On Jazz as we talk about the game the other night and what tonight's game is going to look like. How do the Pelicans win this? Plus, a little bit about Zion Williamson, and he has glowing things to say about the Pelicans star player here. But before we get to that, today's episode of Locked On Pelicans brought to you by rockauto.com. Look, chain stores, if you're shopping for parts for your car, are a nightmare. They don't know enough about what's going on there. And the last thing in the world you want to do is order a part that they just have in their computer because they type some things in and they show you what they have. It's only one option and that's that. You're getting that part if you order a part there. It may or may not fit your car sometimes and that's terrifying. And as someone myself who works on his cars, that's the worst feeling in the world when you just spent all of that money on a part and it's not the right one. So avoid that situation. Go check out rockauto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And rockauto.com, you can shop for hundreds of different manufacturers, makes, and models. Their catalog is super easy to use, and they're going to make sure you get the right part for your car. And more importantly than that, the price that you want for that part too, because you can get high-end parts, you can get budget parts, you can super cheap parts sometimes. Whatever it is you might be looking for to fit your budget, they're going to have it. It's going to fit for your car. So their catalog is super easy to use, remarkably easy to navigate, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. And yes, best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Do not spend up to twice as much for the same parts. I have a room filled with car parts right now. Radiators, radiator core support. I just had to get a new condenser. I have hoses everywhere, thermostat, all of that. It would cost me hundreds of more dollars if I had done this through a chain store. But rockauto.com, cheapest prices I found on all of this, including one part that was like $300 cheaper than elsewhere. Couldn't believe it, immediately ordered it. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available available for your car or truck. Right, Locked on in there, how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. 
Continuing with Jake Madison, I'm David Locke. Jake Madison is locked on Pelicans, as you Pelican fans know. By the way, you Pelican fans listen to Jake on Locked on NBA every Tuesday. I think that is right. Is that right? Wednesday. 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 I was on there. We we were on there yesterday with John Krause. Yeah, the Wednesday show. We always get a good slate of games usually on Tuesday and then um, had to cover this one, which was not not, not the best. I, I realize that I think of your show as the Tuesday show because it's the Tuesday games. Um, so it's the Wednesday yep. <laughs> show, and I do the Thursday show with Ben Golliver. So catch us both on Locked on NBA. All right. Um, so our perspective on night one was that uh, Royce O'Neal did a fabulous job on Brandon Ingram. He didn't get to the free throw line. He took a lot of shot. He took, I think, one more shot than points scored. And I think Jazz fans generally thought that, like, Royce was kind of the unsung hero of that game defensively, really guarding as well as he guarded Brandon Ingram. Does that vibe with what you saw, or did you have a different perspective? No, no, that was it. You know, Brandon Ingram's a guy who shows, you know, at times all NBA potential, I think, particularly when you saw him early in the season and some point forward stuff, but he's kind of been on a bit of a downswing in the past couple of games. And as I've watched him, if you put a guy who's quick enough and has just enough length to keep up with him, it can really limit him driving to the basket. And you saw, I think he only took two shots in the restricted area in this one. Basically his entire game was all mid rangers and one three pointer. That's not how you're going to win basketball games. And these aren't even in the paint mid rangers. These are like long, 20 18 foot jumpers which is just a a surefire way to lose and that's why he had such an inefficient shooting performance but i've noticed with him a couple of times there's just some guys he can't get by if they have a good enough lateral quickness i think you kind of saw it in the game does he not go to the rim because of rudy or is he just not going to the rim as much Right now, he's not going to the rim as much, and he seems to get in his head a little bit where if his jumper isn't falling early, and you know he's got shades of Kevin Durant, right? Like Kevin Durant light to some degree, uh, that if his mid-range game, which he usually hits pretty reliably, isn't falling, it kind of takes him out of the rhythm. And I'm, I have no doubt that it's Rudy Gobert down low, too, but Rudy was it was kind of dealing with Zion for a good bit. I'm curious on your thoughts on that in a second here. So I wonder with Zion down low and the threat he is, does it open it up for Brandon Ingram a little bit, or was he just not able to kind of get around him and had or get around Royce and he had to settle a little bit too much. And that's kind of what I saw with him, you know, with the, with the length that he has and his long gangly arms, you imagine he'd be able to score better than he would at the rim, even against some of the elite defenders. But again, two shots in the restricted area is, is clearly not even trying in that game. I mean, last year, Brandon Ingram had some monster games against the Jazz. and because, Huge, right? Because you mentioned it, I just pulled it up. So he, in the 64 shots he took last year when Rudy Gobert was on the floor, he went 12 of 19 at the rim. I mean, that's a lot. of Like, he went to the rim. It's pretty good 30, against Rudy. <laughs> right, 30% of the time, 33% of the time, he was, like, at the rim last year. So I don't know if that was in transition or um, – but that's a lot. Like, we see on a nightly basis – that guy's shot chart gets bent by Rudy. So, in other words, if Rudy's on the floor, suddenly instead of getting your five shots at the rim, you only get your two, and those become floaters, and then instead of going four for five on those, you go two for five or one for five, and you can't figure out why you had a bad shooting night. And it's not that you actually had a bad shooting night, it's just that you got your shot you got your shot chart redistributed because of Rudy. We didn't see that at all um, 
it, last year with Brandon Ingram. So I, I, I don't know what that is. Is it, have you seen this at all because Steven Adams and Zion Williamson are both on the floor and there's just no room? So some of it, there, there's definitely spacing issues for New Orleans and, with both Zion and Steven Adams out there. But you know what? Like, I, I do think that Steven Adams is actually good at creating some space. He's a very good screen setter. We, you know, I'm sure you love screen assist with Rudy Gobert. So he does a very good job of setting those as well and creating space to get guys like Brandon Ingram going downhill. It just seems like uh, B.I. the past six games or so has been really passive. And look, he was scoring over 25 points per game for the first five or six games that he played this year with both those guys out there on the court. Now he's down to 21 or so over the past couple of games and looking a little bit out of sorts. And I think this more just has to be, it has to do with him. It's a confidence thing. I think he's still kind of growing into the leader and a guy that understands that he needs to take over games and he can take over games and he kind of has that free reign to do so. And until he kind of clicks into that mentality, I think that's something that might hold him back a little bit. But also we've seen it with Zion that, he is such a threat down low, and you saw it in the game on Tuesday, 32 points on 19 shots with Rudy Gobert uh, around him all the time, that you know he, he has so much gravity that you can't leave him necessarily because he's going to make you pay, and that does create some space, even if it's not as much as having you know four out around Brandon Ingram, I think. So Zion was pretty great. I mean, like, really great. <laughs> Right? Like, not, it's kind of fun to watch him be this, like, he looks like the Duke Zion again right now after a somewhat slow start to the year. Dude is springy again. It's great. The footwork's amazing. The deft touch is overwhelming. Um, 14 of 19. By the way, he actually was, like, he he had a better success against Rudy than anyone we've seen just going up against. He was, ironically enough, he was 4 of 4 when Rudy was off the floor. So he was 10 of 15 when Rudy was on the floor, which is way better um than just about anybody we've seen. Uh, is he just 30 every night at this point? Uh, he they're, they're using him in a couple more intriguing ways and better ways for him. So he's, the past two games, this game against uh, Utah and then the game against the Kings, I think he's got over 30 points and he's done it on like 70% shooting in each game or something like that, above 70% shooting in each game, which is pretty wild to think about. When they get him moving downhill and they're using him on the baseline, and you'll see this a lot in the game tonight, if you get enough guard play, which is something we should probably talk about in a second, when these guards drive, when they get a help guy to rotate over and it gives Zion a couple of feet of room and he just starts a cut on the baseline um, around the three-point line or a little bit inside that going towards the rim and they can just throw it to him and he's moving with a full head of steam. Good luck stopping him because his touch around the rim is unbelievable for a guy that moves like him, is his size and just looks like that guy. Like the, You said it, the deft touch around the rim, right? He finishes really really well we even saw him go to his right hand in this game a little bit which isn't something that he breaks out a ton so i think at this point you're kind of seeing the best way to use him not using him in post-up situations but getting him moving off ball first get him a full head of steam it's like a freight train coming at you you saw that play where uh derek favors went to challenge him and Derek favors who is a big dude flew like six feet back and basically just bounced off of zion yeah that was something else that's definitely a good spot to end that segment right there. So more to come with David Locke here in a second, talking about how the Pelicans can win this game tonight against the Utah Jazz. Also gave in his thoughts on Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe as well. So more to come here on today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. 
Today's episode of Locked on Pelicans also brought to you by betonline.ag. NFL playoffs deep into it now when games get really interesting. The NBA has so many fun games every single night. It's great to be a sports fan right now. And if you want to make these games a little bit more interesting and get in on the action, there's only one place that has you covered and one place I trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. It's like if you already want to bet, you're a winner just by signing up. They're giving you free money. They got the NFL playoff game of the week all of the top NBA lines and all of the prop bets you could want probably want to start just hammering that over on Zion Williamson's points per game so don't sit on the sideline anymore get in on the action and don't forget use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts all right back to more of my chat with David Locke ahead of tonight's game so Lonzo Ball and, and Eric Bledsoe, some weird substitutions last night. I think Bledsoe only played like 24 minutes. Um, and then Lonzo was under a minutes restriction. And so they actually rode Alexander Walker a little bit. And Josh Hart's playing out of position. And J.J. Redick does look a little old. Um, ho- hopefully I haven't offended anyone with any of these comments about the Pelicans. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more curious of Bledsoe and Ball because I actually like both of them. Um, I think Hart's a nice player that got overrated because he's in L.A., but I think he's a really nice player. But Bledsoe and Ball, I'm a fan of both of them. I think they do a lot of things well. Um, I actually think Bledsoe last year was a lot closer to Drew Holiday than people wanted to give him credit for when the trade happened. What it, are Can those two... Um, do those two work together? So this is where it's interesting. I feel bad I'm not asking you enough about the Jazz, by the way, but you so thoroughly dismantled the Pelicans, and we kind of saw that team's like full strength on display. I don't know if there's like a ton to ask you, um, but when it comes I will, to, I will let you the, ask whatever you want in a moment. I will stop pep- peppering <laughs> you with questions. No, it's it's fair. Look, I, these are discussions that I think Pelicans fans are having a lot of too, and Lonzo Ball is a central question right now to everything. And look. So you're getting very inconsistent guard play from New Orleans this season. That's really hurting things. I think it also makes it easier to defend a guy like Brandon Ingram when you have guards that just aren't aggressive. So we can start with Eric Bledsoe first. He's just inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from him on a nightly basis, and I think that's a bit of a problem. We've seen his struggles in the playoffs, but he's been a pretty good regular season player but you're not kind of getting that out of him right now. So part of it is the spacing. This is where it maybe hurts him more than it hurts, say, Brandon Ingram, because when you have Zion down low and you have Steven Adams down low, teams are just going to sag off, and they're doing it, and the paint is clogged, and they're daring a guy like Eric Bledsoe to drive, and he won't do it because, you know what? It's going to be a mistake, and that's why you end up with three of nine shooting from, uh, overall night. He's two of four from deep, but anything else didn't look all of that good. He was one of five. That's probably due to some spacing issues. And you mentioned J.J. Redick, who looks old right now. He looks washed. I don't think this is truly what he is. But this is a guy who's shooting closer to 30% than 40% when he's like a 45% three-point shooter for his career. That's going to kill your spacing and make you a little bit more one-dimensional. Eric Bledsoe, I think it's something that will just kind of get worked out in time. You know, it's, it's just one of those things I tend to trust a guy like that. Lonzo Ball, no. If you like Lonzo Ball, I'm happy to try and trade him to the Utah Jazz here. He was 3 of 10 on the night. He was 0 for 6 from 3, and he shows no aggression. And last year, he was a good enough player to keep out there because the three-point shot was credible. He shot close to 38%. That's a career high, and he was doing it on pretty good volume to the point that teams needed to respect it. But how many times was he on the perimeter where the Jazz didn't even go and cover him? 
when there was a kickout pass to him, when teams won't even go and cover you for a wide open three point shot, including some in the corner, it, it's it's not going to be a good night for your team. And it shows kind of the struggles that he has because he doesn't impact the game offensively in other ways. He's good defensively. I don't think he's amazing. I think he's certainly above average, but he doesn't drive. Even, even when the lane is there, he doesn't drive. And that's just going to make it easier to focus in on Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. And it really hurts this Pelicans team. And it's kind of compounded by the fact that he's going to be a free agent. If, if he had another year on his deal, you don't give up on a guy like this just yet. But now you're looking at him not helping this team whatsoever, being mediocre at best, and now you got to pay that guy? I think that's why you've kind of seen a lot of talk of should they move on from him and Pelicans fans kind of being fed up with him and ready to trade him. And Adam Maras of Locked On Nuggets was like, oh, I'd love to take a flyer on Lonzo Ball. said it to me on Twitter earlier. I go, do you want to take a flyer on him and then have to pay him after that? And I think that kind of changes the conversation around him a little bit. All right, what questions do you have for me? I mean, so is the, is the three-point shooting kind of real for the Jazz here? Because they are doing it at a very, very high percentage. I think you you were talking about the stat of they're one of the few teams that's taking 40% of their shots from three. There's only been five teams in the history of the NBA have taken 40% of their shots at threes. I think we're at about 44% right now. Um, no team shot over 37%. Who's ever done that? Dallas did it last year. Greatest offensive team in the history of the NBA, and we're at 41%. Yes. Quinn wants 53s a game if he can get it. I mean, that's exactly kind of what they need, right? They get times. They It seems like over the past couple of years, they've just been slowly getting a little bit better offensively, every year adding a little bit onto it. And if they're going to start bombing away from three and you have a guy like Donovan Mitchell, and then you mentioned one of the better role men in the NBA and Rudy Gobert, I mean, there's a reason the Jazz are sitting second in the Western Conference right now. Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at the Lakers and Clippers, and they're probably better than the Jazz, but how would the Jazz beat the Lakers and Clippers? Well, if we're suddenly able to go get 43 threes off a night, and we have good shooting night, and you're only taking 28 threes a night, it's hard for you to beat us. Like, that get, that's where they, that's, it's almost, the, the, the question I asked our fans the other night, was are they playing rocket ball, but the first team to do it with good shooters? The Rockets have never had question. good shooters. I think it's kind of interesting to think about, yeah. Are they, that's To me, that's where the Jazz might be really good. I, I don't know if they're – I think there's some defensive liability issues. There's some other little things that kind of keep me from, like, totally jumping aboard here. But I do think that one gets interesting, right? So that if you're, if you're only allowing – like, the Jazz allow – opponents 32% of their three shots to be threes only 32% and then they're taking 44% of their shots as threes like by math you have a really big advantage before the night even gets going yeah it's it's you know sometimes it just comes down to threes are worth more than twos and like you saw kind of in this game you know I, I heard a lot of people wanting to pin it on the three-point differential and I thought there was more to it than that but Certainly six made threes for New Orleans isn't going to get it done. Are you worried that in the playoffs, if they go cold from that, which can happen, right? You sometimes see that, that it could tank them in a series because they don't do a really good job of getting to the free throw line and earning some of those easy points that way. So the lack of free throws is disconcerting as, um, you know, the guys are going to get to the line are Rudy and Derek on, you know, because they get fouled on rolls or, or Donovan. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we just don't have guys that go to the line. Um, so that is a bit disconcerting. You know, I guess in, in yes, the scenario that you go cold in the playoffs, um, but I think the other chances are much 
more likely. If it, it, you're not as good as the Lakers and Clippers, how are you going to beat them? It's because yeah. you're taking an extra nine, ten threes in a game, and you make and you get a little hot, and suddenly you got them. Well, it's, it's kind of like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat, right? Like well, That's part of the reason the Heat won that series is they were shooting incredibly well and have a good number of three-point shooters. And also the Bucks' defense kind of mimics, or the Pelicans' defense mimics the Bucks to a bit, where you're leading, leading some of those guys open to defend the three-point shot. And it's a, you know, it's at times the great equalizer with everything. And the Jazz really, if Royce O'Neal, who has not had good second halves of seasons, has a, holds it together, they really don't have a bad three-point shooter on their roster. No, I was looking at the numbers when I was previewing the game, and it's kind of wild to see that everyone who takes over two threes per game or something like that, two or three or more threes, basically shoots above like 35 or 38%, and it's wild. So they're doing it on volume, and it's not a guy who's making one three per game and does it at a pretty high percentage. Guys who are taking a lot of shots. Um, I also forgot that Dell Demps is there as an assistant coach. How has his transition from being the Pelicans GM and leading this team gone to being on the bench. Well, Quinn's always loved Dell Demps. They go all the way back to Austin. Uh, yeah, we heard the he, stories of that when he got hired. Yeah, when he was the GM. So I think they, they have a great relationship. I think Dell has been interested in getting back to coaching or getting into coaching. He's got, you know, great resume from all of his time in Europe and then bouncing around the league a little bit with different coaches at different times. I think from Pop to Don Nelson kind of range of coaches. So – you know, all indications are, you know, certainly new new job, breaking down film and 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 getting a scouting report ready is you know, he wasn't doing that as a GM, but all reports are yeah. <laughs> just a really different perspective than you probably can get out of most coaches in a healthy perspective. No, I, I'm happy to hear that that it's kind of in you know, in a spot that I think probably fits him pretty well and he is a very, very smart basketball mind. So I know we're probably going a little long here, but I guess we should wrap up. How do the Pelicans somehow win this game tonight against the Utah Jazz? Well, the shooting discrepancy I don't think will be as much as it was, but I will say this. The shot quality, like the shot distribution, was so dramatic that the Jazz didn't have to shoot well to win. They could have shot not very well and still won by like five or six. So they shot well and won by 20. So I actually think that's the story. I think whether the the shot distribution, in other words, the Pelicans can't take 36 mid-range shots while the Jazz are taking 46 threes. If if that happens again, it's just a bad matchup. You move on. The shot, that's the thing I would be watching. If I'm a, if I'm a Jazz fan or a Pelican fan, I'm looking at that first quarter box and I'm looking like, okay, how many mid-range shots, if you have that, if you're on cleaning the glass, or just how many threes are each side taking? Is that equalizing at all? If it doesn't equalize and Brandon Ingram's taking mid-range shots and everyone's pulling up from the mid-range, then, it, then it's not uh, that that's not going to be a close game again. No. I, also, look, it could just be one of those teams that's a bad matchup for New Orleans, right? Like sometimes that just happens where there's a team you don't do well against because of the way things are built. And this is a Pelicans team that, you know, I don't think was solidly in the playoff conversation to start the year. And they're still trying to figure a couple of things out. So they're fighting for 10. So it's not the perfected roster that this team's eventually going to have. And hopefully they're good. So things still in transition versus maybe a little bit more of a polished team. And sometimes that just happens. You've got to live with it. Yep. You better be careful, by the way. I hear the CEO of this Lockdown Podcast Network gets really mad if guys' shows are long. What was that? You better be careful. I hear that the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network gets really upset when people's shows are too long. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you got you to wrap it up before uh, <laughs> you, you talk for hours and hours and hours, right? That's why I was like, oh, I, I think I know how long we've gone here. We should probably try and uh, wrap it up for the game tonight. 
All right, my man. Have a good one. Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans. I'm David Locke, Locked On Jazz. Locked On Bets is your daily betting podcast. 15 minutes, Lee Sterling, your boy Q, having a great time to tell your smart device right now to play the most recent episode of podcast, Locked On Bets. Have a good one.